Well, today I want to talk to you about hope, and here's what I know. I know that in this room today, and certainly for those listening at home, there are some people at this time in your life, you are filled with hope. And by hope, I just mean excitement about the future. You're anticipating something good in your life, and so you're living with that hope. Others, though, I would assume, it would always be true, are just the opposite of that. You've kind of lost hope, and when you look to the future, you don't see anything exciting or anything really good, and so you're just kind of like living without hope. You're hopeless, and that can cause not only discouragement, but it can even cause depression. And then there are probably others here today and watching at home who are somewhere in between those two. You're not depressed, but neither are you gung-ho and excited about you know, the future and what God has in store for you. And so that's what I want us to talk about today. So if you'll open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 13, I want us to look at a verse to begin with this morning that is one of my favorite verses in all of the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. And yesterday, I looked this verse up in 26 different translations. And interestingly enough, 20 of those translations translated the verse exactly the same way. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 in 20 of the translations says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now think about that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Of the other six translations, four of them pulled out the word deferred and put in the word delayed. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. And so to, for something to be delayed or deferred, it's the same thing. If you're watching a football game and before the game starts, the referee f flips the coin and one of the captains says, I believe it's tails. And it says, yes, it is tails. Do you want the ball now or do you want to defer till the second half? Well, nine times out of 10, they will say, we want to defer till the second half. We want to be on defense first. And when the second half starts, we want the ball then. But we're deferring that until we get to the second half. We're postponing that. We're putting that off. Well, sometimes in life, we pray for something. And some of you today, I guarantee you in this room right now, and certainly for those watching at home, you're praying for something, for a disease to be healed, for a relationship to be restored. You're praying for a child who's away from God. Maybe you have a prodigal in your family or a, a grandkid or a, a brother or sister, or even a spouse, and they're away from God. And you're praying that they would come back to God. And yet you've been praying and waiting. You've been praying and waiting. You've been praying and waiting, and you don't see anything happening. And so your hope has been deferred. It has been delayed. It has been postponed. And the Bible says that when we're looking forward to something and praying about something, and nothing seems to be happening, that it can cause our heart to be sick, that we can even begin to suffer some type of depression in our lives. Hopelessness is a horrible, horrible thing. And so God doesn't want us to live hopeless life. Think about this. If hope deferred makes the heart sick, then hope fulfilled or a hopeful heart makes the heart happy. And so God, whether our prayers have been answered, the disease has been healed, the relationship has been restored, or the prodigal child has come home, God wants us to have hope and expectancy and anticipation and excitement that what we're praying for 
will indeed happen in God's perfect time and in God's perfect way. So that said, if you'll turn now to the book of Revelation, we've been working our way through Revelation for a long time. And to be honest with you, we've pretty well finished the study. I do want to come back at the end of uh, or the week after Easter, and I want us to start a seven- or eight-week series on those seven churches there in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, and then we'll really be finished with our, with our study of this book. But we're kind of in a neat place right now in that we've covered all the other material, and yet this Sunday and next Sunday, I thought it would be good just to kind of go back and revisit a thing or two that we've talked about. Next week, we're going to cover something we've not even looked at at all. But today, something we talked about months ago, but I want to bring out a new application and something that I pray will really be a blessing and encouragement for the person here today who says, John, I've lost hope. I don't see anything good coming out of this situation that I'm in right now. Now, Revelation chapter 12, let me just kind of catch us up because it's been months since we were in this passage of Scripture. In this part of Revelation, the tribulation period is at the midpoint. Remember, there's going to be the rapture of the church one day. We're going to heaven if we're saved. And then everybody else is going to be left behind for seven years. It will be the great tribulation, suffering like the world has never known. At the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to emerge. He's not going to tell everybody he's the Antichrist. He's going to come along as a peacemaker. And he's going to say to the world that is going through utter chaos, hey, if you will follow me, I will give you peace. I will provide for you. I'll make it possible for you to eat. I'll make it possible for you to survive during this chaotic time on the earth. And one of the things the Antichrist is going to do, he's going to go to the nation of Israel, and he's going to say to them, if you will follow me, I will let you Jewish people rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And you can once again begin to offer sacrifices up to God. And so the Jewish people are going to think, man, we've not had a temple in Jerusalem in 2,000 years since the Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D. You go to Israel today, there's no temple. There's no one offering sacrifices. The Jews worship in synagogues now, not in the temple. But at the beginning of the tribulation, the temple will be rebuilt. And the Jewish people no doubt will think, man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to show his true colors, that he is a liar. Remember, he's the devil incarnate and in the flesh, and he's going to show his, his true self, and he is going to turn against all those people who've taken the mark of the beast, all the people who've pledged their allegiance to him, and especially the Antichrist is going to turn against the Jewish people. Remember this. Just like Satan hates Christians, Satan hates the nation of Israel. Why? Because the nation of Israel, they are the people of God in a very special way. And it was through the Jewish people that Jesus was born into the world. And so the devil hates everything associated with God. Christians, the church, Israel, he hates everything, and three and a half years into this seven-year period, he's turning against Israel to persecute them and to obliterate them. See, he's always, the devil in history has always tried to destroy the Jewish people. What do you think Adolf Hitler was doing in Germany uh, many, many years ago when he was exterminating millions of Jewish people? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was being used by the devil to destroy the people of God, and yet he, was unse he, he, he killed millions of people. 
but he did, God did not let his people be destroyed. And miraculously, about 50 or 60 years ago, you see the Jewish people being regathered to their land from Russia, Germany, Poland, and all these places where they had been scattered for for almost 2,000 years. It's an amazing thing. But when the devil, when Antichrist turns against the Jews, God's watching this. Certainly God knows well in advance everything's going to happen. And God says to himself, if I don't do something to protect the Jewish people, they will be completely destroyed from the face of the earth. And so we read in Revelation chapter 12, just one verse that says, God has prepared a place in the wilderness for the Jewish people during this time, during the time of tribulation. So let me show you that verse. Chapter 12, you're already there. Let me find it. And in, in verse number 6. Then the woman, and here the woman is being referred, Israel is referred to as the woman, because in verse 5 it says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations. That male child is Jesus. Jesus came from the Jewish people. Uh, his mother was Jewish, and so when it says she, it's talking about Israel. Verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So 1,260 days is three and a half years. And so for the second half of the tribulation, the Jewish people will be in this place, in the wilderness, that has been prepared by God, and God will feed them there, God will protect them from the Antichrist there, and they will be safe in this special place. Now, the question is, where is this place that God has prepared? And certainly, we don't know the answer for that or to that question for sure, but most theologians believe that it is in the country of Jordan, which sits adjacent to, uh, it connects on to Israel, and uh, to, the, to the east of Israel, and most people believe that it is in a place specifically known as Petra, P-E-T-R-A. The word Petra in Greek means rock, and so this place has been named a rock, and what it is, it is a mountain, a huge rock, a huge mountain, and right in the middle of this rock, this huge mountain, there is an opening, a narrow passageway that you can walk down. I would say maybe, four, maybe six to seven people wide can walk down it. And it's a long path. And you, at the end of it, you're going down a hill as you go through this. It's like you're walking between two cliffs, two mountain ranges. I'm going to show you a picture in a moment. And when you get to the end of it, it opens up. And here is this city called Petra that thousands of years ago, the people who built the city, they built the city into the mountain, into the rock, into the stone. And so they had a theater there. They had the business district there. They buried people in the actual mountain. Now, first, let's look at the picture of this passageway. You can see how narrow it is. And so the theologians who say, hey, I believe that that's the place God has prepared for the Jewish people in the wilderness to protect them from the Antichrist is because once you get in there, if Antichrist tried to pursue, he couldn't get in there. And the Jewish people could be on the inside of that with their guns, machine guns. And so if Antichrist and his group is going down in there, they would just shoot them and fire. So they'd be safe down in there. Now, the next picture shows how the city opens up. And there you see one example, one building built 
into that rock. Interestingly enough, if you're a movie fan, Indiana Jones and I think the final crusade or the last crusade was filmed here in Petra. The next picture just shows uh, an expansion of that, another angle of how they built the city into that area. And so today, that place is uninhabited. It's a tourist trap. It's a tur- not trap. It's a tourist location, not a tourist trap. It's a tourist place today, but nobody's living there. But in the tribulation, uh, think about this. It's 400 square miles, so it's huge. Now, when you go today, the reason I, that slipped out, of, I, I guess it was in the back of my mind about being a tourist trap, I want to show you in 2010, which is the only time we've ever been to Israel. I've been uh, only time we've ever been to Jordan on one of our Holy Land trips. I've been over there seven times. My parents have been 16 or so times. Only in this trip in 2010 did we ever go to Jordan. Well, I want you to watch what our pastor, who's supposed to be praying and leading us to learn about God and doing spiritual things, look what he was doing in Petra on the day that we were there. Look at him, riding a camel with no hands on the camel. It's craziness. He said he's here to help him any way he can. Now, what, is, what kind of path? He's a fun path. But anyway, that's what you do. You get down there, you ride a camel, you look around, and that's what it's going to be. Now, this story that I'm about, I'm, I'm fixing to base the remainder of my time this morning largely on a story, something that happened to me in Petra in 2010 that made a profound, God did something in my heart when I was there. And knowing that today I was going to be dealing with, with what we're talking about, I just felt led of God to share this, and so I, I want to share it. The day that we left Israel to go to Petra, we were in the Sea of Galilee region, which is in northern Israel. And so we got on the buses. We had four buses on this trip. There were almost 200 people that were traveling with us this time. And we rode over five hours to get into Jordan and then to travel down to the southern part of Jordan to the place called Petra. Petra is about two hours south of Amman, Jordan. You might be familiar with Amman, hearing that on the news. And so we got to Petra, and we were so many buses and so many people. We were in two different hotels, and the two buses that I was kind of leading, we were staying at one hotel, and my parents and their buses were at another hotel. And so when, when I got in my group, we got to our hotel, the guide said to us, you know, your suitcases will be delivered to your room. If you would like to go to your room and take your carry-on bag and put it in your room so it'll be safe, that'll be fine. But there's a delicious steak dinner that has been prepared for your group in the dining hall. So after you go to your room, be sure to come back down and have, have a great dinner. And I knew it would be extravagant and delicious. Well, it was probably 8.30 or 9 o'clock that night. And I'm not a huge steak eater to begin with. And even if I were at 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, I thought, you know, I don't really think I want something that heavy. I won't even be able to go to sleep. And so I said to myself, I'm going to make sure everybody's okay. They've got their keys and done my part there. But I'm just going to go to my room tonight and eat a granola bar and a banana or something light. And then i tell you what was in my heart. I just wanted to pray. And so that's what I did. I went to my room. I had a little snack. And then I just kind of started talking to God. And I don't remember everything I said, but I just was thanking God for the trip. And it had been a great trip and a great day. We were about halfway through the trip at that point. But on that particular night, I had, I guess what you would call a prayer burden. There was something on my heart that I just, I knew in my spirit that I needed to talk to God about this. 
And so I just began to pray, and I said, God, here's the situation. Here's something that I'm asking you to do for me. That's what I was asking God to do something for me. And I said, God, I'm just asking you in this particular situation to intervene and do something. And I just poured out my heart to God. Well, when I got finished praying that, God spoke to my heart. And we've all had this experience, certainly, where we pray about something. You know, sometimes you pray, you don't hear anything back from God. He's still listening, but sometimes you just don't sense a response. Maybe the response comes later. But on this particular night, now think about this. I'm in Petra, Jordan, in a Muslim hotel, telling, pouring out my heart to God. And here's what God spoke to me. Now, I don't, I don't know how it is with you and your relationship with God. I would think it's very similar to mine. But when God speaks to me... When God says something or gives me a word, normally it's very quick. It's like, and it normally takes me five or six seconds or maybe 10 seconds for me to process what it is that God has spoken to me. Because God will just speak, and you know God has spoken, and yet it just takes a moment. But, but on this particular night, God spoke to me, and as best as I can understand God's voice, not, it wasn't audible. He didn't write the words in the sky so I could read it. It was clearer than any of that. Into my heart, here's what God said to me. He said, John, I may not answer that prayer soon, but when I answer it, it will be quick. And I knew God had spoken that to me. And so after having received that, I'm processing that. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking I'm so glad I didn't go down there and have that big dinner tonight because I'd have missed what God had for me. I got in bed. I was lying in bed, and I'm just reflecting on that. Think about that. Next morning, get up, have breakfast, go to the place I just showed you, Petra. Tour guides explaining all this to us. We walked down there into it, did everything you just saw, and I loved it, and I learned a lot. But in the back of my mind, I couldn't stop thinking about what God had said. John, that prayer you just prayed. I may not answer it soon, but when I answer it, it will be quick. And it was on my mind that whole day. At the end, towards the end of the day, we got back on our buses and we made a, about a two-hour drive to southern Israel to go to the Dead Sea. Our, our hotel at the Dead Sea was there. First time and only time I've ever been in a sandstorm in all my life. You know, in the Middle East, they have sandstorms sometimes, but I've never been in one till this day. We were crossing the border from Jordan into Israel, and it was an old-fashioned sandstorm. You had to cover your mouth, your nose, your eyes. It was terrible. Well, we got back into Israel, got on our bus, went to the Dead Sea, had dinner, went to bed. Now, if you've traveled abroad, you know, you're talking about we're having a time change any day of one hour. You travel over there, you've got a seven or eight hour time change. So your body clock's all off for the first, at least mine is for the first four or five days of that trip. You wake up about two or three o'clock in the morning, wide awake, can't go back to sleep. Well, so the next morning I woke up and wide awake, see what time it is. Is it time for breakfast? No, it's about three or four o'clock in the morning. Well, I, I, I stayed in bed for a while. Sun came up. I opened the Curtains, looked out, beautiful view, the Dead Sea. Still wasn't quite time to eat, so I just kind of got back in bed. I was just lying there, meditating. I wasn't necessarily praying, but I was meditating. And I was meditating on the word God had spoken to me 36 hours earlier in Jordan. And I thought, God, I just know you've given me that word. You may not answer that prayer soon, but when you answer it, it will be quick. I said, God, I could never thank you enough for that. And God spoke to me again. And God gave me another word. 
just the same, with the same clarity he had given to me in Jordan. Here's what God said to me. He said, and when I address that situation, not only will it be quick, but you will know beyond the shadow of any doubt that it was my hand and that it was my divine intervention in that situation. And God spoke to me and said, just like you know you're saved, you don't have to wonder about it anymore. When I do what I'm going to do in that situation, you will know it with all your heart. And so that's been 11 years ago. Now you say, John, that's interesting. But why are you telling us what happened to you in Petra, Jordan, and in the Dead Sea in Israel 11 years ago, just so we'll know something about you? No, I'm telling you that today to say what God spoke to me then may well be what God's Spirit is speaking to you right now. Why do you think several weeks ago, I've, had, I've been planning on preaching, telling this story for weeks. Why do you think God would have put on my heart weeks ago to stand up here today and to tell that story to you? I'll tell you why. Because it may be that through this message, the Spirit of God is going to take the word He spoke to me then and apply it to your heart today. Listen, those of you here today praying for God to heal a sickness, to restore a relationship, to give you peace, we're seeing about peace earlier, to lift that, that burden of discouragement and depression off of you, to give you a lightness in your spirit, to restore your joy back. To, to, you're praying for God to bring a wayward family member back to himself, and you're praying and you're waiting, and you're praying and you're waiting, and you're praying and you're waiting, and it's been so long you've lost all hope. What does the Bible say? Hope deferred, hope postponed. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. That's true. But if that's true, the opposite must also be true. Hope restored makes the heart happy. And so today, friend, listening at home to this message, if you turned in today or tuned in today with a, with a heavy heart and with nothing to look forward to, and yet as I have given you a specific word that God gave to me 11 years ago, it may not be soon, but when I act, when I get ready to act, when I deal with this situation, it will be quick. And when I address this situation, you will know that it was my hand. You won't have to wonder where that came from. It was that good hand of God in your life. While I'm saying that to you today, if God's Spirit bears witness with your spirit, what does that mean? That means that you have just received a rhema word from God today that is just as real for you here and now as it was for me in Jordan and in Israel 11 years ago. See, that's what God does. God speaks to our hearts, and God gives us a word. And when he gives us a word, all of a sudden, hopelessness becomes hope. And we say, you know what? Now I've got something that I'm looking forward to. Now, you're in Revelation 12. Go to chapter 22. I want to show you one other thing. And while you're finding that, I want to read you a verse. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this verse down. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has just returned to heaven. He's ascended. Crucifixion, resurrection, 40 days on the earth, and then Jesus returned to heaven. And while he was going up, there the disciples are, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them, and they're watching Jesus go up into heaven. And while they're watching that, these two angels come and talk to them, and in verse 11 they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as he saw you go into heaven. In other words, as quickly as he went up, just that quickly he's coming back. And I'm sure they wonder, well, when will that be? What was God's word to them? It may not be soon, but when it happens, it'll be quick. 
Now, you're in Revelation 22. Let's look at these verses we've looked at for the last two or three weeks as we've studied about uh, how the world will one day end. Look in verse number 7. Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Again, many translations bring that word out as soon. Well, it's soon from God's perspective because God lives outside the realm of time. But from our perspective, it's not soon, but it's quick. It's imminent. It's sudden. When Jesus gets ready to come back, it's going to be just like that. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming quickly. Verse 20, surely I'm coming quickly. And so all of us today are waiting on that. You may not be waiting on a disease to be healed or a relationship to be restored, but you're waiting on Jesus to come back, and you've been waiting ever since you got saved, and it hasn't happened yet. So from our perspective, it hasn't been soon, but when it happens, it will be quick, just like that. Here we are on earth, then we'll be in heaven. Here we are in Pasadena, Texas, then we'll be in the celestial city, just like that. And we'll say, man, that was quick. God said, I told you it's going to be quick. Didn't necessarily tell you it's going to be soon, not from your perspective, but I told you that it would be quick. And so what I'm saying to you today and what I feel that God is saying to all of us, and if his spirit, and this, this, this may not fit every heart, but I believe it fits many hearts. If as I have said this today, if his spirit bears witness with your spirit, that that situation, let me, let me just ask, I didn't do this in the first service, but how many people in this room right now would say, that at this time in your life, you are praying, you have your own prayer burden. You have something in your life, whether it's for health or a job or a relationship or your future, your kids or, or whatever. You have something, or maybe you're about to make a decision at work and you don't know what to do. You're praying for something. And as of yet, that prayer has not been answered. All right? How many of you are in that category? Would you just raise your hand so I can just see? Okay, well, that seems to be about 85 to 90% of the people in the room just raised their hand, which says to me that this is what God wanted me to say. Now, what is the word from God for you? Same thing God said to me. It may not happen soon, but when God gets ready to do what God's going to do, and he may answer that prayer differently than how you're praying it. That's, you, you want him to answer it his way. His way is always right. But when he gets ready to answer it, it's going to be quick. And just like that, your situation could change, or you could have your answer from God. We, had a lady, we have a lady in our church. She's got a tumor behind one of her eyes, and so she's been going in for months for radiation. And the doctor said to her, now listen, this radiation will never shrink the tumor. That's not the intent. It's not going to make the tumor go away. The hope is it will stop the tumor from growing. And so she goes to get radiation. Every few months, she gets an MRI. Last week, she went for an MRI. She goes back for her follow-up visit with the doctor. And the doctor said to her, I've just seen your MRI. I've compared it to your previous MRIs. And something very unusual is happening. He said, do you remember how I told you that the radiation is not supposed to shrink the tumor? It's just supposed to keep it from spreading and getting big. Yes, I remember all that. He said, I can't explain this. And I've never seen this before. But the tumor that you have behind your eye is significantly smaller than it was at your last MRI. And he said, typically, in a situation like this, which is very rare, once that tumor begins to shrink like that, I wouldn't be surprised if it dissipates and just dissolves and goes away altogether. And he said, I can't explain it because the radiation is not designed to do that. 
And she said to him, she said, well, I believe I can explain it. She said, I believe in addition to the treatments you're giving me that God is answering a prayer that I've been praying that that tumor would not only not grow, but that it would shrink and that it would eventually go completely away. And she said, I just believe God's answering that prayer. Now, see, it wasn't soon. It wasn't immediate. But when she got that report the other day, it was quick. Now she's seeing something happen. And so today, whether you're waiting on something like that or something else, remember this. As we, are you still listening, by the way? Say amen. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Remember this. When you are waiting on God to do something, not just are you waiting on God, but you're waiting with God. And who you have in the indwelling Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit is much more important than who you're waiting on. Friend, when we get sick or our family gets sick, we all pray for health and healing, and that's one of the most important things in life. Let me just say this today as someone who's probably as thankful or more thankful than anybody in the world for physical healing. There is one thing greater than physical healing, and that is the presence of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Because one day, if we live long enough, our body's going to die anyway. Now, we're all waiting to go to heaven. We say, well, I'm waiting on Jesus to come back. Take me to heaven. Give me a new body. Put me back up there with a reunion with all my family members. I'll be in that perfect environment of heaven. Let me tell you something. I'm waiting on Jesus to come back too. Let me tell you this. As I'm waiting on Jesus to come back, I'm waiting with Jesus. I already have the best part of heaven living in me, and that is Jesus Christ. The the greatest part about heaven is not being reunited with your family, although that's going to be wonderful. It's not getting a new body, although that's going to be great. It's not being in a perfect sinless environment, although that's going to be fantastic. The greatest part of heaven is the presence of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you today, friend, if you are saved, you already have that. You have Jesus living in your heart right now. And so while we're waiting on him to come back and take us there, we're not just waiting on him. We're waiting with him. If you take Jesus out of heaven, heaven is no longer heaven. I would rather live in the most remote place on the earth with Jesus than to live anywhere else without Jesus. And he's already living in our hearts. And so I think the word for today is a couple of things. First, God has heard your prayer. Somebody needs to hear that. God has heard your prayer. God is on top of your case, and he will tend to it in the right time and in the right way. When's he going to do it, John? I don't know. I know this. It may not be soon, but whenever it happens, it'll be quick. And whenever God does, whatever it is God's going to do, not only will it be quick, but you will know beyond the shadow of any doubt that the good hand of God has taken care of you. And If I could add a P.S. to that and re-say what I just said. While you're waiting on God, don't miss the blessing of waiting with God and making His presence the most important and the greatest thing in all of your life. Amen.